Let us pray. Father, thank you that you promise that through Jesus, you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are our sure foundation and that we can surely trust in you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated. So good to see everyone here this morning. Glad that you're here with us. And good morning again to everyone watching via the live stream. I'm so appreciative last Sunday of Deacon Bob Reagan and Miss Kyle Bowman and their sharing about regeneration ministries. Did everyone else enjoy their, them being here as much as I did, I hope? And I'm looking forward to, we support them out of our missions budget, but very much looking forward to building partnerships with regeneration in other ways as well. So today we're continuing in our series from Ephesians. So I'd invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 1 through 6 today. And then next Sunday we'll pick up with verses 5 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 4. As we're doing this, just for full disclosure, um, this is a passage that I have preached on previously here at All Saints Church. I think shortly after I came, Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 6. And... um, I've modified my sermon some, but you may hear some common themes if your memory is that good. Um, <laughs> but I, I do believe that as we're walking through the book of Ephesians, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it's important that we don't skip any sections. And, and this section in Ephesians chapter 4 is particularly important for us, I believe, as a church and as we look to reach our community. As I mentioned two Sundays ago, as we finished Ephesians chapter 3, The beginning of chapter 4 of Ephesians marks a transition where St. Paul now begins to make practical application of everything that he's written in the three preceding chapters. The opening verses of chapter 4 focus on the nature and the essential need for God-breathed unity in the church. And this is our focus this morning, unity. God's Word has much to say to us regarding unity as believers, In Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3, we read, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There is blessing, brothers and sisters, in unity. God works powerfully when his people are walking together in unity. When we come together according to the heart and the will of God. Now, now as we're talking about unity, as we begin this conversation, let me be clear what unity is not. Unity is not uniformity. And I know I've used this illustration previously here at All Saints Church, but you can... You can Get uniformity. Those of you and many of you included in this group have a military background. Everyone dresses alike. Everyone walks in step as you march. Everyone responds in the same way to the commands that are given. You can even, and this happens in some some cult settings, you can even begin to force things where everybody thinks exactly alike. That's not healthy. Because unity, God-breathed unity, is not uniformity. Unity doesn't rob us of 
the beautiful God-given diversity that he has placed in our midst. Diversity of cultures and nationalities and ethnicities, of gifts, talents, and abilities, and I could go on and on. Instead, God-breathed unity brings all of these things together in the midst of God's people. And it's like the pieces of a puzzle I know I'm not a big jigsaw puzzle person, but I have family and friends who love to work jigsaw puzzles. And maybe some of you do this, but, but a family will spread one of those, you know, 50,000 piece jigsaw puzzles or whatever it is out on the dining room table or on a card table in a game room. And people just kind of go in and sometimes they do it together as a family and, and start piecing that together. And that's really kind of how God breathed unity works because every one of us is a critical and unique piece in that puzzle. But when it comes together and things are rightly fitted together as only God can do, what comes forth is a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture. And that's what God does as he works his unity together in us, perfectly fit together to make a beautiful whole altogether for his glory. As we look at this wonderful portion of scripture, there are two main points we see this morning. First, in verses 1 through 3, we see that unity is a choice. And then secondly, in verses 4 through 6, we will see that God himself is the basis of genuine unity. So first, again, unity is a choice. Did you hear that? Unity is a choice. It doesn't just happen. And as we look at this idea that unity is a choice... The first thing we see as we look at Scripture is that as a choice, unity must be pursued. Verse 1, Paul urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In 1 John 1, 7 we read, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's interesting that the same word in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, for walk, is the word that Paul also uses here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. So what's that say to us? I believe it says to you and me that both as individual believers and all of us together as a church family, walking in the light of Christ leads to unity. And the more fully we walk in the light of Christ, the greater our unity will be. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Since Jesus has and Jesus continues to set us free, since we now belong to him, we are to pursue God with our whole being. We are to continue to bring every facet by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. We are, continue, we are to continue to bring every facet of our lives in line with the plan and the purpose and the will of God. That's God's calling to us. Yes, our call is to be like Jesus. But even more than that, as believers and as a church, our call is union with God. United with God in his being so that our wills, our lives, and all that we are is one with who he is. 
And as we do that, God's character shines through us in contrast to who we were before we knew Christ and in contrast to the world around us. Because we become in ever-increasing measure the salt and light God calls us to be. We become, we become more like Christ. We become more fully complete image bearers of God. A number of years ago, this is going back like in the mid-1990s, Atlantic Monthly did an interview with what were then the superstar tenors in the opera world, Jose Carreras, Placido Domingo, and Luciano Pavarotti. And they were performing together at that time in Los Angeles. And the reporter tried to press the issue of competitiveness between the three men because there was competitiveness there. But when asked about this, Domingo said, you have to put all of your concentration into opening your heart to the music. You can't be rivals when you're making music together. And that imagery really applies to the church as well. Because we can't, if we're, if we're working together in unity, we can't be focused on being competitive with one another. And it's really, as I thought about this, it's really like a great symphony orchestra. You know, those of us who like classical music, you go to a concert and this orchestra plays in perfect harmony and just it's beautiful and there's a conductor leading them. What's happened behind the scenes? That orchestra, each individual musician playing his or her instrument has practiced for days and hours and weeks before that concert so that they can play in that perfect harmony and unity. And that also is a picture of what it means to pursue unity as a choice, that we work and we practice and we keep at it by God's grace as we grow in ever greater unity with one another and union with God. Yes, unity with God and with our brothers and sisters must be pursued. It's intentional. It doesn't just happen. It's a choice. It's a choice which we, which we must make repeatedly because God calls us to walk in a life worthy of the calling which we have received from him. The second sub-point we see here in verses 1 through 3 is that in addition to unity being a choice, in verses 2 and 3, unity is the result of spiritual fruit. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love in the bond of peace. That sounds a whole lot like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, for those of us who are familiar with those verses, doesn't it? Where we read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. As we grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, unity is accomplished. Spiritual growth and maturity produce godly unity. Unity with God and unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't have time in this sermon to delve deeply into 
each of these godly qualities we know as fruit of the Spirit. But I do want to mention that in Ephesians 4 here, it is not a coincidence that humility is listed first. Because in one sense, humility is required for each of these fruit to be present and more fully developing in our lives. Why is that, you might ask? Because true God-breathed humility uproots pride. Pride, which is the assertion of self and my rights and my agenda and what I want. Humility uproots that. And humility fosters unity. Humility brings unity, but pride provokes disunity wherever it is found. Humility wasn't seen as a virtue or valued in the world at large in St. Paul's day. It's interesting, especially that the Greek word used here in the New Testament for unity was never known to be used in the Greek language in any extant texts prior to the New Testament. Why is that? Well, if we know a little bit about ancient Greek culture, those of you who took ancient Civ, we know that the Greeks very much emphasize that man, and I do mean that in a gender-specific way in this case, man is the measure or was the measure of all things. Human beings, particularly men, were the measure. Even their gods, their false gods and their whole pantheon were measured against human beings. And and this is where much of the root of secular humanism in our culture comes from because human beings become the measure of all things and there's nothing beyond us. There's nothing beyond us self-actualizing our own needs and wants and desires, whatever they may be. And we answer to nothing higher and no one higher than ourselves. And that's really what Greek culture taught. That's what Greek philosophy emphasized. And it does sound familiar, doesn't it, with much that we hear around us in our culture today. That I am the measure of all things, that my ultimate goal in life is to actualize myself and my feelings and my wants and my desires and assert my agenda above everything else. To maximize my potential, to be all that I can be, to be true to myself. And far too much at times of that kind of secular thinking has crept into the church. We're here about maximizing our potential. If you follow these steps and you follow this business model, you do this or you do that, or I do that, we will maximize our potential as individuals. But Jesus calls us to be different than the world. He calls us to be like him. He calls us to genuine humility, which is totally alien and foreign to the mind of the flesh. Jesus calls us to be like him, the one who humbled himself to death, even to death on a cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. 
Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility is the prerequisite for being gentle, patient, bearing with one another, uh, bearing with one another, keeping the bond of peace. Genuine humility comes from God and is not possible apart from the work of God in us. Pride, boasting, haughtiness, a sense of personal superiority, asserting or insisting upon personal agendas or wants or desires above others, those things are not from God. Because in God's kingdom, personal plans and agendas are set aside and replaced with the agenda of Christ and his kingdom. And with all these qualities, these fruit, God grows in our lives and does his good work by his Holy Spirit as the soil of our hearts is cultivated. But we've got to cultivate the soil so that the soil of our hearts and lives is a receptive sanctuary for the work of God. You know, in my gardening, if I don't fertilize and I don't put compost in my garden, and those of you that garden know this, and you just let the ground become hard and fallow, um, you're not going to get much. Or what you do get is going to look pretty weak and pathetic. And the same is true with our hearts. We need to cultivate and make room in the sanctuary of our hearts for the work of God. To make our hearts a receptive soil for the work of God. To sow his good fruit. Unity is a choice. But it's brought about by the Holy Spirit alone. It's not automatic. And for each of us and all of us together... It happens as we rely on the Holy Spirit and as we cultivate the good and gracious work of God in our lives. So unity is a choice. And the second, God is the foundation and the basis of genuine unity. Look at verses four through six with me. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Notice the emphasis here on the word one. Seven times, seven times in three verses, the word one is used. I think God's trying to say something to us. One body and one spirit. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, who for centuries have been in enmity with one another. And it's not like the Old Testament where Gentiles to be grafted into God's community became Jews, nor in the New Testament do Jews become Gentiles in terms of ethnicity. Rather, here we have God bringing these divergent people, groups, and cultures together. Jews and Gentiles becoming one body through the marvelous and wonderful and glorious work of Jesus Christ. 
Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, St. Paul reminds us, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. How does this happen? Through one spirit, through the Holy Spirit of God, who in all of our diversities, ethnic, racial, social background, cultural background, language, education, gifts, talents, and skills, brings us together. Brings us together and does as only he can do and makes us one. And we have to work hard and choose to build that unity because it is found in God and him alone. This week, and I prayed about what I should say about this, but I'm just going to kind of hit it head on. This week, I became aware that one of our beloved families in this church, um, their children were subject sometime recently to racial slurs and comments here in this church. And I know that that represents a very, very, very small, hopefully just one individual group of people in this church. This church has a wonderful and glorious history of working toward racial reconciliation, both here and under my predecessors in the larger community here as well. And that has been central to this church. Um, My words here are going to be a little bit strong, but I think that certain concerns and issues call for strong words. No family, no parent in this church should ever, not even once, have to have a conversation with their children because something like that has been spoken to them at this church. Ever. Yes. This church is a house of prayer for all peoples. And all people are welcome here. And I've I've talked to our staff, and I have, as rector, said to them that if they ever witness that going on, that they have my full support to address it immediately. And I mean this with all grace, but I mean this with all firmness. It will be addressed. We will not tolerate that in this church. Because that's a stench in God's nostrils. God calls us as one people. And even with all the garbage and stuff going on in the culture around us, God calls us many peoples, many nations, many races to come together and let him do his wonderful, marvelous, healing, unifying work among us for the glory of his name. And if we allow that kind of thing to happen here and we don't root it out, it will horribly hinder the work of God in our midst. So pray with me to that end, please. We are united, brothers and sisters. We are one in Christ. God is that foundation. We share, regardless of who we are in our background, in Christ we share the same hope, and it is a sure hope that will not disappoint us. One spirit and one body, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, verse 6. And note the order here in verse 6, because I think it is significant. We share in the same Lord, Jesus Christ. The ground is level, as I've said through this sermon series, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. As we come under the headship of Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church. We all work for and serve the same one. We serve the same king. We are citizens of the same kingdom. One Lord, one faith. We share our belief in who Jesus is, that he is the unique son of God and the only savior of the world. And that salvation comes through him alone. And one baptism. As we are baptized into Christ's body, the church, as the Anglican 39 article says, um, baptism confirms faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then one God and further, father of all, verse 6. Like verse six disappeared on my page. Oh, there it is. One God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are adopted as God's sons and daughters. We are, he is the father of all those who are believers, all those who know Christ. He is over all and he works and moves through us. And he is at work in all of us who know Christ. And it's God, God himself, father, Son and Holy Spirit. He is the basis of all real and genuine unity. And we need to be reminded of that continually. Many scholars believe that verses four through six may have been an early creed recited by believers. And it's this idea, creed, Greek credo, which means I or we believe. It's why every Sunday before the Eucharist, we come to the altar having recited the Nicene Creed together. Why do we recite the Nicene Creed every Sunday before the Eucharist? Because it reminds us of the unity that we have in Christ. And we speak and we affirm that this is what we believe and this is the basis of our unity. This is the basis of us coming to the Lord's altar, that we believe these things that are critical and essential. The creed affirms and reminds us and attests to the basis of our unity. And we see this unity as well in the very God that we serve, who himself is a trinity in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And through God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are one. Unity comes from God. Union with him. Unity is only possible because of a living relationship with God, but it is a choice. It must be pursued, and it requires God-breathed humility. As God calls us to continue to reach out to our community, to our neighborhood, we are going to have to intentionally live into this and walk in the light of God because our church is going to get a whole lot more diverse. And that will have its challenges, but those are God-given challenges and God will give us grace to work through those challenges, whether those be ethnic and racial differences or language barriers or socioeconomic ones. God will work with us as we walk in the light and he will do his good and gracious work in and through us to reach our community because that's his heart and that's his will for us. And as we do that, we will be ever more fully ourselves and together united 
and we're fully brought into union with him. So as we conclude, let us remember the words again of Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, his blessing. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your good and gracious work in us. And God, it is only through your grace and the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, that these things ever become reality and are ever accomplished. So Lord, draw us more fully into union with you. And may we, every step of our lives, walk more fully in the light, the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord, root out of us pride that asserts personal agendas, that asserts personal senses of superiority or even superiority or personal agendas that are corporate in this congregation. Root those out and fill us with godly humility and grace. And Lord, give us your power to do the work that you have called us to do as we see many more brought into that beautiful picture of the kingdom of God, that perfect picture that you take each piece and fit it rightly into it, each person, and use us to advance your kingdom until you return. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.